You're listening to the Her Leadership Coach Podcast for the quietly determined career woman who's looking to step up into her first or next level leadership role. If you're looking to make a bigger, more positive difference in your organization, you've come to the right place. Well, hello, welcome in. It's Rochelle. On today's episode of Her Leadership Coach, we are joined by Wanda Wallace, author of the leadership book, You Can't Know It All, Leadership in the Age of Deep Expertise. Welcome to the podcast, Wanda. Thanks, Rochelle. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today because I found many of the principles in the book align with the principles in the Her Leadership Way Manifesto, which is one of the things that I kind of run my leadership and my coaching by. Um, So things like shifting from being a know-it-all to a learn-it-all or from this, this place where we believe everything is true to understanding actually a lot of it is just perception, right? So I love seeing these principles popping up in places in the book. Um, Only what you're doing in the book is applying it to a a context that's a level above where I'm normally focusing. So I'm excited to have the conversation, but let's start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about who Wanda is and a little bit about the leadership journey that you've been on that's got you to, to this place. All right, great. There are two distinguishing factors of me. One, maybe three, but one is I describe myself as a reformed academic, meaning Uh I started my career as an academic and psychology professor, quite honestly, moved into the business school as a marketing professor, and then ultimately moved in to run executive education at Duke University. So I kind of did that academic thing and then chucked it out the door and said, not for me, 15 years later, but chucked it out the door and said, not for me, because I got more and more and more interested with the day-to-day problems that my clients were facing mm-hmm. and increasingly frustrated with how little the academy, meaning the research world had to contribute to that. So a big part of me is respecting the research, but at the mm-hmm. same time, wanting to say, what does it mean? What do we do? And by the way, does that work in real life on the ground? Yes, I love it's it. There's an awful lot of the experiment. Anyway, I don't need to go into that one for a long time. I can get, can, can get quite on a soapbox about it. So that's one quality about me. A second quality about me is that I have this unusual thing in life in that I live in two countries, two cities. So my primary residence is, yes, in New York City. My secondary equally important residence is in London. I love the back and forth between those two. I love the global context. I care a lot about understanding what's happening outside of one place or another. And London has always been the access to Europe or to Asia. So it's been easy to kind of broaden that into a global reach. The third thing that's unique about me, I think unique about me, everybody tells me this one, is that I am an ultimately a synthesizer. I'm going to pick up a piece from one person and a piece from somebody else and a piece from somebody else and knit it together in my own view of the world. And that's very much who I am and what I'm about. I love that. All right. Now, my leadership journey, let me just say two words or a couple things about this one because they're amusing stories. Um, one, I never thought I would lead, and I certainly never thought that I would be an entrepreneur. That was not the game plan. But like most people, the the career is what happens as you make a series of choices. Mm-hmm. 
So you make a choice to move into a business school. You make a choice to leave academics, run executive education, mm-hmm. where you have suddenly a staff of 30, a board, a PL, and clients that you didn't need, had no prep for doing, but suddenly you have all of this to do. And it's just, you make a series of choices. And it really, the leadership journey is really the journey part of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, which is, which is, like to me, it's what it's all about, right? It's it is a journey, not the destination. Uh, and yeah. and a lot of what I talk about is being a leader, not doing leadership. And so right. I think you know we can all be leaders no matter what we're doing in life. Great. Totally yeah. great. We yeah. are all leaders, whether we're doing it well or badly. Yes. The question is, how much can you increase? I think they increase the quality of the leadership, the impact of the leadership that you're doing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I say this. I think this is really important, particularly for your audience is too many people get hung up on, I need to know what I want to be. Mm. You know, it's supported by parents going into university, coming out of university. What are you going to do with that? And you, I keep saying you have to start. And once you start, you will find things you had no clue were even on the horizon and you make a choice and it leads you somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else. And that that's the smart piece is not get hung up about what am I going to be? Yeah. But what experiences am I going to accumulate? Yeah. Yeah. Taking action often brings clarity, right? It, it's, right. It, it tells you, was it good or bad? Like at least, you know, something from taking action. Yeah. 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 I learned yeah. from that and it opens possibilities I didn't know I had before. Yes. Um, yeah. That's, that's been my whole career. <laughs> It hasn't really been a plan. I um, went to university to do computer science and ended up with a psychology degree. So, you yeah. know, but yeah, you, you take action yeah. and you go, oh, no, that's not for me. What's, what is for me? And the next step will give you more clues. For decades, I have interviewed hundreds of very senior leaders in my client organizations, all big, large corporations. These are all very senior people, hundreds, men and women in equal numbers. And you ask them about their career journey. I can name five out of hundreds that said, I want to be an ex and they have gone off and been an ex and that's it. And I'm not talking about CEOs. I'm thinking about one who said, I love risk. I want to be a chief risk officer. That's the right career for me. And I don't care if nobody thinks it's high profile. And at the time it was nothing. So abandon a high profile career in order to do that. And then suddenly, you know, post various crises, it's the hot thing to be. (laughs) But there are so few, most people, it just happens by choices. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, again, it's the journey, not the destination. It's, it's the fun is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at the book. Uh, So the book goes into uh, the, the, the story, a a number of stories, which I love having stories in a book. So thank you for putting them in there. Um, And then the, the difference really, the book is around the difference between what a lot of people start out as in being an expert leader, being the know-it-all, having the knowledge, having the technical expertise, and then helping people to understand if they want to and how they can shift into spanning leadership. So can you tell us about those those two things and, and like what's the difference? Why does it matter? Yeah. All right. So the first off, I, I want everyone to understand it's not either or. Mm-hmm. It's never either or. 
It's what's the proportion of each that the role you're in is asking you to do. So there's always a little bit of blend. And yes, when you start out, it's probably 95% expertise driven, maybe 5% spanning. And maybe if you make it all the way to the CEO, it's 80% spanning and 20% expertise. But you can't be a CEO without some expertise. Yeah. You just can't. Even the most senior level job today in a knowledge economy, you got to meet clients and have a point of view and opinion that is your own. You got to understand the industry. You got to understand a bunch of stuff yeah. to be effective. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's neither either or. Expertise driven is when people follow you because of your expertise. Their credibility is derived by what you know. And this is the most, in some ways, the most satisfying, the easiest role, oh, maybe, in being in leading people because they don't doubt your credibility. So this is when you take over a team, particularly when they were a team of peers, and the team is happy to have you as the leader because they know you know more than they know. And that means that they can come to you and ask questions and you can help them and teach them and train them. And it sets up a whole set of behaviors that says my value my contribution to the team and to my organization is based on my knowledge and my understanding. So I know where we need to go next. I can define the strategy we need to have. I can solve the problems. Nobody's questioning why am I in that role? Nobody's gossiping about me behind my back. My network is driven because people reach out to me in my expertise to get content and knowledge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, when you begin to move into a role that is a little bit more ambiguous, it's the most exciting roles that exist, they're the career makers that exist, or perhaps your team now has developed their own expertise and they need you less in that role. And now you need to shift into what I call spanning, which means you're broadening across areas. So I'm looking across areas, which means I have, it's not that I have zero knowledge, it means I have little depth. I have to have some knowledge. I can't be blind, but my value is my breadth, not my depth. And my, why are people following me? What's my value that I add? How am I relating to people? Why am I going to that meeting? Who's my network? All are fundamentally different in that spanning space. Mm -hmm. So for example, when there is one of my favorite stories, when there is a conflict, like we have a debate, are we going to do A or are we going to do B? When I'm called in as the expert leader, I have an expertise derived perspective on what's right and what's wrong and why it's right or why it's wrong. And I can go and represent my area's view of that quite strongly, quite clearly. But I tend to step away from the implications of how that integrates with five other areas and what the decision would be for the senior leaders. So I show up with my content knowledge, like my blinders on, here's what I know. How does that fit something else? I don't know. That's not my area of expertise. And in that moment, you give up your impact. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the spanning space, I go with the expertise of my team, not mine. My team who've right. briefed me, may be with me, may not be with me, but my job now is to integrate it. My team thinks we should do A because of one, two, three, but if we do one, two, three, that has implications for this group and this group and this group. And I'm expected to weigh in with an opinion about the whole, 
-hmm. So you'll often hear um, some companies use the language of enterprise leadership, mm -hmm. or they'll often get the code, take the next step in your career, or you want to increase your impact, or we want you to be more strategic. Mm -hmm. All of those are code words for, I want you now to lean more into the spanning leadership style and less into the expertise. Now it's never one or the other. It's always a blend. Yeah. So it's like shifting the balance slowly. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I, I that's some really good explanations. And I, yeah, I love your example in there. Um, so how do you know when it's time to shift? Is it is it purely by role or you know, you mentioned some words in there, you need to become more strategic. Is it purely by like, what are people telling me? How do you know when it's time to make that shift? Okay. okay. All right. So the first thing is you have to have expert capability on your team. Otherwise you cannot step away from the expertise role. So either you have them, they've been there, they're fairly seasoned. They may be much older than you. That's your first clue that you don't need to be the expert because you have that area of expertise covered. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Second clue, we give you, and that because, can be because you've got someone there or because you've developed them either way. Second clue is when you now have multiple areas of expertise reporting into you, you know one or two, but you don't know the third or fourth. We're not expecting you to become the expert in those additional areas. You can't. It takes eight years to be an expert. So it's offensive to somebody who's an expert, let's say in marketing, that suddenly you're going to master marketing. No, you're going to learn the principles of marketing, some knowledge of how marketing works, but not the depth. You want to rely on your experts in that area. That's your second clue. The third clue is when we give you an ambiguous role where it's not really clearly defined. It's an opportunity if you can pull it off. But the only way you're going to pull it off is by pulling in people from all sorts of different areas. And your value is the spanning component, not the deep dive in all those different areas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the fourth clue, you'll get words, as I said already, like we need you to be more strategic or you need to increase your impact. Or you need to raise your visibility. All of those are clues that you now need to elevate out of your area of focus and expertise, not abandon it, but then to start to look across that spanning view of the world. Yeah. Awesome. Um, that that makes a lot of sense and and good clues to look out for, right? And and uh, also understanding that okay, now is a time that I need to make this shift because we can become quite comfortable in being an expert leader. Uh, often we've we've come up through that field, right? And so we're very comfortable in that space. Um, reading your book, I just, you've packed so much information into the book. It's like having a, a coach and a mentor in your pocket that you can just take with you as you go. So like, you've just done such an amazing job with the book. Um, and there's a whole section of the book that is dedicated to how you shift from an e-leader to an S-leader. Cause I think, you know, when we're, when we're comfortable, uh, being able to step into that spanning piece can be quite difficult. And I love how you've um, interwoven a whole lot of questions in there for us to reflect on. I'm very big on that introspection piece um, to help us take movement. Um, and there's a there's a few different sections in that how-to piece, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got um, 
how you add value as an S, as a spanning leader, which includes shifting from doing it yourself to leveraging others. There's how you get the right work done. And that includes shifting from getting the right decision to moving forward with a good call. There's a little bit of being comfortable with ambiguity in there, which, you know, is really important. Uh, and then how you interact. So that includes things like moving from conversations about facts to conversations about emotions. Uh-huh. And so as I was reading through these sections, it kind of struck me that a lot of what you're talking about reminded me of being a an entrepreneur like a a solo or or small business entrepreneur where you know it's all about um done is better than perfect it's about collaborating and getting to know um you know people across whether they're your competitors or uh you know in completely different markets but building those relationships um and then bringing on a team when you can and helping them to do the work rather than you being the one to do it all and so they were kind of shifts for me from being a startup first first steps entrepreneur to a more effective entrepreneur do you see any parallels there being an entrepreneur and talking to a lot of leaders Being an entrepreneur, I think, is an unusual combination of the expertise and spanning. Mm-hmm. Um, so normally in a large or larger organization, I've got some portion of my time that's expertise, some portion of my time that's spanning. And the split between those will vary the job, the role, the seniority, and a whole bunch of other things. But it's always a combination. What's unique about an entrepreneur in the early stages, it is 100% expertise and 100% spanning simultaneously. Like you have to be the deepest expert on the thing you're trying to do. Otherwise, you can never sell investors or customers or solve problems or take it in the right direction. I mean, you are 100% in the heart and soul of what this means at the start. Yeah. Now, as it begins to grow from early stages, the challenge is you have to quit being that expert. Mm-hmm. And this is often the part at which the founder of an organization starts to flounder because they can't get out of their own way. Yes. They've always been the one driving the science, for example, or the technology, for example, and suddenly they have to quit. You just hired a chief technology officer. You can't do that job anymore. And it's a really tough one. But simultaneously as an entrepreneur, you can't afford all the resources you actually need. Mm -hmm. So you don't have a chief communications officer or customer relationship person or a marketing person or an HR person or whatever. You you don't have those and you have to figure it out yourself. So it's 100% and 100% in the early stage. And then that balance begins to right size itself because as you should well recognize 100% and 100% doesn't add up to a healthy life balance. Okay, But it is start (laughs) for sure the start and it's true for people who join an entrepreneurial firm so I think one of the attractions particularly I see in women I come in I'm going to support this founder in the very early stages and I'm going to do a little bit of everything you know I'm going to be across the board handling a whole bunch of stuff and it is great fun until the company grows And then you can't continue to do that. And so in ways, the job starts to shrink. But if you go into those roles with no zero expertise, 
you have no natural home to go back to. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the company outgrows you mm -hmm. and you're on an exit. And it's just sort of recognizing where your strength really is and when it is that that strength is no longer what's needed. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense at all? I watch so uh, many people, so this, particularly women do this with entrepreneurial businesses. They yeah. just, and they don't understand what happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes so much sense. Um, I, I, I suspect there's a lot of um, cross knowledge that could happen between entrepreneurs and higher level leadership roles um particularly as you're going yeah as you're growing as a company um and I think it really highlights how important it is to be a leader and to grow your staff in whatever way they need to grow um you know whether it's an entrepreneur as the company is growing help them to grow into their expertise piece um or you know, whether you're in career world and you need to help your leaders grow into the spanning piece, um, right. you know, there's a huge responsibility on us right. in leadership roles. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And to give, you know, one of the purposes of the book also, not just to advise people in their careers, but is to advise managers of teams. Mm. I want to give you a language to do a better job than saying, we need to figure out what's holding you back from your next step in your career. I mean, not, like that is not helpful. So, now you got a whole set of language of skills you can begin to acquire or different approaches you can begin to take. Not that the first one was wrong, but that there's another way. Yes. And as a manager, you can look through this and say, right, I want to elevate the performance of this person. What is it I need them to focus on to elevate and get much more tactical than what we've typically done? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think one of the things that I encourage leaders to do is work out loud, right? Because uh, when you've got people that are looking to you as a role model, they don't understand what it, what leadership is often. And so they're looking to you. And if you're just doing it sort of in the background, then they don't get to learn what it is right. that you're doing. Right. Whereas if you start working out loud and saying, look, I'm going to step back from doing this because as a leader, I'm now, it's my job now to trust you and bring you up as the expert and me stepping back into that spanning role. Yeah. Then like that in itself starts to help them see, oh, okay, now right. I need to look at that shift as right. well. Right. Yeah. Right. Or uh, I love that phrase of work out loud mm -hmm. so that you can talk as a leader about the ways in which you have had to shift your own approach yes. to getting work done yeah. and how you've done that and what you needed to do about it. That is also informative as well as saying, I am now shifting my responsibility in the following ways. Mm -hmm. So that allows you to shift yours. I, yeah. I think that's a lovely phrase, yeah. working out loud. Yeah. Uh, okay. So another thing I, I noticed when you were going through the how and, and the, the shifts that you needed to make between being an expert leader and a spanning leader was there's this really great mix between the masculine and the feminine, particularly in the spanning leadership, right? I felt like the expert leadership is, is a lot more masculine. And as you shift, there, are, there seem to be a lot more feminine traits coming through. So I'd love to see if that, if that rings true. Uh, and do you find, therefore, that there are unique challenges for women versus men in making these shifts? Yeah, yeah. I think there are unique challenges for women, and I will come to that one in a moment. Um, in many ways, my life journey 
personal life journey has been about understanding the masculine and feminine blend. And I believe great leadership is an ultimately a blend between the masculine and the feminine. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we tend to label things as more masculine or more feminine. And I'm not sure we do service in doing that. So for example, I want to just take one of my favorites. There are times as a leader, when you need to push your team quite hard, give them really tough feedback. Don't take no for an answer, set a really stretch goal, kind of push being more forceful. Now I didn't say being obnoxious, bullying, aggressive. I said forceful intentionally. And there are other times when you need to be more enabling to use Rob Kaiser's language, enabling. I need to give people a second chance. I need to be a little more sensitive to their feelings. I need to let them have time to work their way through it. So we would typically say one is harder and one is softer. All right. And so it's easy to label the first one as masculine. The second one is uh, feminine. I'm not convinced it is because when Rob and I do the research and we look at the 360 evaluations for 12,000 people around the world. So this is a massive database. Women tend to do more forceful and men tend to do more enabling. Now, tend trends, not a hundred percent everywhere. So I'm not convinced that one is masculine or, or and one is feminine. Mm. I think they're two different styles. We get comfortable with one approach or the other approach for whatever personality, psych, experience, role, all of it drives it. And we tend to lean too heavily on one. So for me, the leadership journey is learning to balance, yes. to balance everything whether it's the masculine and feminine, the forceful, the enabling, the strategic, the operational, the humility, the confidence, the outspoken, the reserved. I mean, it's, you can pick any, they're all diametrically opposed and we've got to learn to balance mm. those. And that's the secret sauce for me. Mm. So I understand why you think one is more masculine, but I see more female leaders who rely on their expertise leadership for way too long. Yeah. And it's detrimental to their career. Mm. And I, I can more. I can see that I could I can see that right because I think uh, we we learn. This is my understanding is that we learn how to progress our careers in a corporate world that is still mainly masculine, and so we're good students as women <laughs> we we like to you know um achieve and get a grades and so we look at what it takes to get to a leadership role and we do it um yeah. and and i like it is a mass more a masculine energy uh however i think women uh you know have been really good at picking up that energy and right. running with it right. yeah right yeah, yeah. It, it's it's an interesting debate of what is masculine energy and what is feminine energy. And I don't want to go down that debate, though I would love to, so, but probably not on this podcast. Yeah, I think women, what becomes unique about women is when I am the expert, my leadership isn't called to question. My um, Nobody is challenging to get my role because I know more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. I get called in for networking events to give my opinion in various places because of my expertise. Mm -hmm. And it creates an incredible comfort zone that feels like I don't have to play the political quote game. Mm -hmm. I don't have to 
you know, schmooze this person or build a relationship with that person or persuade this person or kind of navigate this or what, you know, all for good cause. I'm not pretending anybody's doing bad things. Mm -hmm. I can just rely on my knowledge and it's a pure comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And so I find women struggle when they're asked to begin to move away from that. They don't take those opportunities. They don't put their hand up for it. Look, the adage, Rochelle, we have a job description. A woman knows, you know, 20% of it, 60% of it, she won't apply for the job. A man knows 10 to 20% will apply for the job. What that's saying is women expect to be the expert on that role, mm -hmm. in which case they're not going to learn anything in that role. Mm -hmm. Whereas men don't expect to be the expert. Some men, I should say, they're willing to learn on the job or find other people who do know. Mm. And that's a classic description that distinguishes expertise and spanning leadership. So I think women get themselves stuck. Yeah. And then the organization looks at that and says, well, you must like this comfort zone. So we'll just keep you there. That's what you want. That makes you balance your life. You're really good at it. I'm happy with that. You're keeping everything tied together for me. Perfect. Yeah. And we wonder why we don't get opportunities. Yeah. So how do we as women start to address that? Okay, so this is not abandon your expertise tomorrow mm -hmm. and go 100% spanning. Keep your expertise. It's your calling card. What I want you to begin to do is add spanning. So take a thing that is like a project that's a new project that you are not the expert on and don't try to become the expert. Try to lead that project in a different way or put your hand up for a networking event or a charity event where you're not the expert and lead in a spanning way mm -hmm. or tell your manager, okay, I need to learn to lead some things in a different way. And I want you to coach me on this. I need to rely on other people's expertise. So let's make that my journey for this next year. Any one of those gives you examples, both to signal I'm ready to lead in some things in a different way. And I'm open to more possibilities. Once people see that you can lead without being the expert, they start to give you more opportunities. Mm -hmm. If they think you have to be the expert in order to be effective, the opportunities become few and far between. Mm -hmm. They start in small ways, small, yeah. small, small things. Yeah, great advice. And, and again, action brings clarity. When you see that you can do it, then you are more likely to step into it, right? You gain your confidence that yeah. this is possibility. You don't get confidence because you sit there and pump yourself up in your home. You get confidence because you tested it in a small way. And okay, I can manage that. Yeah. <laughs> Test it in a bigger way and on yeah. we go. Yeah. Yeah. And the positive feedback, hopefully, that's coming doesn't doesn't hurt either. Yeah. Right. And if it doesn't work so well, then it's not in a grand stage and you can adjust a little bit, do it a little differently next time. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. That's That's fantastic advice. Uh, thank you so much for that. Okay, I'm going to ask you a few quick questions to wrap up our, our time today. Okay. First is, what is one thing you know now that you wish you knew five years ago, 10 years ago, the, the big thing that you wish you knew? I'm going to surprise you with this one. There's so much I know every day and, I, you know, I can't even begin to draw a line on when did I, when didn't I. The thing that I'm really focused on at the moment, though, that is new for me, that I have not mastered yet but I wish I'd started five to 10 years ago is mastering social media as a business tool. Yeah. So 
I've just started a whole Instagram thing. We're gently testing TikTok in severe. I've been on, not done much with Facebook. It's just been there. We've done a lot on LinkedIn historically, but mm -hmm. I just feel like I haven't reached out broadly enough mm -hmm. to a younger generations. There's multiples of them and built that kind of following base that I wish I had. Yeah, And I yeah. think lots of people, whether you're working for yourself or you're working inside an organization, need to pay more attention to this than you think. It's going to become the news media of the future in ways for people to find you. And I think it's important. Anyway, that's the thing. I'm still it. learning, but I wish I'd started earlier. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that really like, it's about spanning, isn't it? It's it's about moving into that spanning leadership. And, you know, I think it is important for women in their careers to be doing that as well. I know often uh, we, I work for government, so sometimes we feel like we can't say too much on social media. Right. Uh, and yet you can. Uh, you just need to be a bit more strategic about it. But starting to build those networks across you know, your organization and other people in your industry to help you as your career progresses, I think is a, is a wonderful thing for people to start now. The push for me, not just from a marketing point of view, the push for me is recognizing that whether I love it or not, mm -hmm. it's how younger generations are interacting mm -hmm. and right, wrong, or indifferent. It's where they are. And so if I want to stay relevant to them, I got to get smart about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you just always have to be asking that question. Is this the thing I'm going to miss? Or is this the thing I really need to dig in and learn? Because yeah. it's going to make me more relevant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, particularly, like you said, when it's not your comfort zone. It's not your right. favorite place to be. Um, I definitely hear that. Uh, and last question for today is what is your mantra as a leader? What's the thing you find yourself saying quite often? Um, whenever I, like when I'm signing the book and I write a note to somebody, there's always one word that appears. It's the same word pretty much every time. And it's the word journey, something I think you will appreciate Rochelle, cause you use it also. So it's an old Zen saying that the journey is the reward. That is my mantra. Yeah, the I journey agree. is the reward. It's about the experiences and the next experiences. It's not ever a destination. It's a journey. And to me, that is my mantra in life and in leadership. Yeah. Yes. I love it. Perfect. Uh, Wanda, thank you so much for your time today. I would love for you to let our listeners know where they can find you. Is it on social media or somewhere else? You can always find me on social media, I hope. So we're on LinkedIn, Wanda T. Wallace, um, Instagram, Wanda T. Wallace as well, Twitter, Facebook, uh, tiny bits on TikTok, all the same thing, or send me an email at wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com or a bajillion websites as well, leadership-forum or wandawallace.com. Your book is definitely on Amazon. So uh, everyone can go and find definitely. that. Put the link in the show notes though. Uh, and I, yeah, like I said, it's like having a mentor and a coach in your pocket. So I don't know why you wouldn't want that there if you're stepping into those roles. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate your uh, wisdom in this space. Thank you. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for joining me this week. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you want to continue the conversation about today's topic or anything to do with being a leader from the inside out, come and join us in the Women in Leadership Facebook group. 
You'll find the link to join in the show notes as well as the links to connect with today's wonderful guest. If you got value out of this episode, I would love it if you could share it with others. And of course, if you've been listening to podcasts for any amount of time, you'll know that rating the show and leaving a review helps others to find the show. And I would really appreciate that. Until next week, continue to lead the way her way.